Well, good morning. And if I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Ryan Epley. I have the joy of serving as one of your pastors here at the church. Um, just celebrated being here five years. And this is such a great church. It really is. It's unique from other churches I've worked at. And it's a very blessed church just to see God using you and, uh, and impacting our city. So uh, grateful for you guys. We've been walking through the book of Jonah, and we're going to continue in there today. Jonah chapter 2. Now, it's a really small book, and it's hard to find sometimes. So if you have an ESV, we're on page 774. Or if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be some underneath uh, the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those, and uh, we'll be uh, Jonah chapter 2. And if you've missed the first couple of weeks, let me give you a quick recap, because um, it's really hard sometimes to hop into a middle of a TV show or a middle of a movie and try to figure out what's going on. So even though this is a familiar story, I don't want to assume that. So just a real quick recap before we start in Jonah chapter two. And so the very first act of the story is God comes to Jonah and tells him to arise and go preach salvation in Nineveh. Arise and go is what he tells Jonah. Now there's some irony in this because what we see after God tells him to do that is Jonah does arise and go, but he goes the opposite direction. He goes the exact opposite way that God um, has commanded him to go. Um, anybody can, can relate to that, right? Knowing what God's told you to do and still disobeying. That's what Jonah is doing. So God pursues him in his love and uh, brings a storm over the sea that Jonah is sailing on. And uh, he gets tossed overboard and a big fish swallows up Jonah. So that's where we are right here. We're starting in chapter two. And the setting of this is we're hearing a man pray in the bowels of a fish. So there it is. This is our setting for Jonah chapter two. So Jonah chapter two, starting in verse one, and we'll just read this whole chapter. It's only 10 verses. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. This has got to be one of the most unique places anybody's ever prayed, right? Belly of the fish, he prays and he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars close up upon me forever. Yet you, you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. No matter where you are right now in your uh, spiritual walk, just take a moment to pray and ask God to speak to you this morning.
and take a moment to pray for me as I communicate God's truth. Pray that I would communicate it clearly this morning. Father God, thank you that you hear when we cry to you. God, thank you for your word that reveals who you are. You're not hiding yourself. You're not trying to shroud who you are. Lord, you're revealing who you are to us this morning. So Lord, I ask that you would just open up our eyes to behold the wondrous things about you from your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, growing up, I would go to my grandparents' house and I would see this decoration at their house. And I never knew what it was for so long. I'd see this decoration and it looked like to me, it was just a decoration of sticks. There was just sticks plastered on this piece of wood. This is what it looked like. And for years I would just see it. I'd be like, man, they just really love sticks. And, uh, and I looked at it again over the months to come and I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's a foreign language. Like maybe it's Chinese and I just don't know what this, what this means. But they apparently love to display sticks because I would always see it when I go over to their house. Well, I don't know what it was, but one day something clicked for me. One day I realized I was focusing on the wrong things. I was looking at the sticks in this picture. And when I started to look at the background, Instead of the sticks, I saw what it said. And it says, Jesus. It's a little bit easier to see there. If you, look, if you focus in on the background, you see Jesus. But if you focus only on the sticks, then you miss it. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because in this story of Jonah, it's so easy for us to focus in on this big fish and ask a ton of questions about that. It's easy for us to focus in on Jonah and who he is and what he was doing. But if we focus only on those things or we focus primarily on those things, what I think we miss is the Lord. I think there's themes that run through this text that show us who our Lord is. And what I would say is that there's three things I wanna show us today. There's three themes found in one big God. Three themes we can find in Jonah chapter two that explained to us a little bit about our God. And the first is this, that God hears us in his sovereign grace. God hears us in his sovereign grace. We all hate to be ignored, right? But we all know that feeling too well. You know where you've been in a, a, a group conversation and you're kind of on the fringes and maybe you're a little excluded or you throw out a comment and nobody even recognizes that you said that, right? I mean, that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to be there. And I think that's one of the reasons why social media is so popular right now because social media is a way for us to get out there and say the things that we wanna say and hopefully people don't ignore us. So we can saturate our words in all these different places and hope that people hear us. There's this longing within our hearts to be heard and not ignored. And I think what's sometimes what we do is we take this reality that sometimes we are ignored by people and we take it and we transpose it on God. And we pray and we think, God, is, are you even hearing me right now? Like, are my prayers even going past the ceiling? Or we've prayed for months or weeks and years. And we're like, God, do you hear us? Are you ignoring us right now? Well, this passage, what it's showing us 
is the reality that those feelings are not truth. Those feelings are not reality. Reality is that God hears us and he answers us in his grace. He hears and he answers us. It might be a yes, it might be a no, it might be a later, but he always hears and answers when we pray to him. In all times, in all situations, in all emotions, God hears when we pray to him. So look at this. I just want us to see some of this, especially in verses one and two, but look at Jonah praying here. Remember where Jonah is at this time in his life, right? He is running and he is fleeing from God. He is a fugitive from the Lord. That's where Jonah is right now. Like he's heard what God had to say and he's like, I'm not doing that. I'm running this direction. So he is in the midst of sin. Now we would all sit here and agree and be like, well, those that are really faithful to God, God definitely hears their prayers, right? Like we, we can all agree on that. But here in this text, we see a man that is full of sin and full of pride and full of rebellion and God still hears his prayers. At this time, Jonah is so full of pride, he's stuck in this fish's bowels for three days before he prays to God. Three days, like that's a lot of pride. I might've not even made it three minutes. I would've gone into the water and I'd be like, God, save me now. Like, get me out of this right now. But Jonah's here three days and three nights. And then finally he prays to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord. So even in this midst of this sin, even in the midst of his pride, God hears his prayers. And there's something within us that thinks I've got to clean myself up before I can come to God in prayer. If I can just get out of my sin, I know that I've sinned, I've done this stuff wrong. Let me wait one, two, three days and clean myself up enough that I can return to God and pray to him again. That's not what grace is. That's not what the gospel is. God did not hear Jonah's prayer because he was a good man. God heard Jonah's prayer because he's a gracious God. God doesn't hear your prayers and my prayers because we're great and we're important and we're good, righteous people. God hears your prayers and he hears our prayers because he's a great and gracious God. But that's not the only time that God hears our prayers when we're in the midst of our sin. Whatever situation we're in, God hears our prayers. I mean, like I said, this has got to be one of the most unique places to pray. He's in this belly of the fish. Now I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So we read this story and I've seen the pictures of what they think this fish looks like in the inside. This is ridiculous. Like my house could fit inside this fish, right? Like Jonah is, is lounging back and he's, you know, enjoying this moment. It seems to be in these pictures. I'm like, that's, that's not reality. Like put yourself in this situation. Think about what this would have looked like for Jonah. Jonah is stuck in this fish. It's probably tight quarters, which gives new meaning to be still and know that I'm God. He's stuck there. You're sitting in a pool of stomach acid. You see little bits of fish floating around you. It's hot. It might be 90 degrees in here. You're soaking wet. Like this is not a very beautiful, elegant place to be praying to God, right? Like this is a really disgusting place to pray to God. And yet God hears his prayer. 
in the midst of this hopeless situation, stuck in the belly of a fish, he has confidence that God is going to hear him. He has confidence that God's gonna hear him. God is not too holy that he can't hear you when you pray in bad situations. When you're in the worst of places, God doesn't say, whoa, 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 I'm too holy to hear you in that place. So wait until you get out of that stage or that place in your life. And then when you get right, then I'll hear your prayers. No, in the midst of this gross, disgusting place, God hears Jonah's prayers. Which honestly, as I read this, I'm a little convicted because this is a really uncomfortable place to be. And Jonah prays to the Lord. Like I struggle to pray at times when I'm sitting at home in a chair, holding an ice cold glass of water with my thermostat set at 72. And yet in the middle of this moment, in the middle of great despair, he cries out to God and God hears his prayers. So know wherever you are right now, wherever you're gonna be tonight, like God will hear your prayers and he will answer them. But he also hears our prayers, not just in gross situations or in our sin, but in all of our emotions, God hears when we cry out to him. Like if you look back at verse two again, look at what he says. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. I mean, if we were to to calculate everything that Jonah's been through right now, if we could just calculate it and add it up, like this is overwhelming. Like this would bankrupt our emotional banks. Like it just... um, it would be so overwhelming to us. I fled, I'm far away from home. I got stuck in a storm. Now I'm stuck in a fish. Like all of these things happened to Jonah. And he says, I'm in this distress. He even says later in verse seven that my life is fainting away. He feels like I'm going to die in this moment. I'm standing next to the grave. And what I love about this is when he's overwhelmed, God is still acting. When he's overwhelmed in this moment, feeling distressed and depressed, God still hears his prayers. In verses one and two, there's three different Hebrew words that are used to talk about prayer and crying out to God. Maybe you wanna underline them, but look in verse one. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. This word for pray is just a a word we'd use for a conversation just a normal word they would use to talk about talking to God and praying to him. But then at the beginning of verse two, he says, and I called out to the Lord. This is a shout. I'm shouting out to the Lord that he would hear me. So it's moved from a a, a dialogue, a conversation to a, a shouting to God, you've got to hear me. To another word he uses in the second half of verse two, where he says, I cried and you heard my voice. I cried. This is a different word that would talk about this emotional stress of of weeping or screaming out to the Lord for help. Like Jonah in the midst of this deep situation, literally deep situation, where he is, he's, he's crying out to the Lord and God is hearing him. And what I love is the, the words that he uses here in verse two. He says, out of my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. God answered his call. But then he takes it to another level, a more personal level. And he says, when I was in the belly of this grave, the belly of this fish, I cried and you heard my voice. 
God just didn't get a message from an angel that told him, hey, Jonah, pray this, why don't you answer? And God answered, although that would be sufficient, right? That God would still answer his prayer. But it's extremely personal. What it says here is that you heard my voice. God hears our voice when we pray to him. No matter what the situation, no matter what our emotions, no matter what the place, God in his sovereign grace hears when we call to him. But if I were to take a poll in here and up at the fellowship hall, if we put out a survey and we took a poll, how many people believe that God hears us when we call to him? Most of us, majority of us would probably be like, yeah, 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 God definitely hears when we call to him, right? Then my question is this, why is it that prayer is such a small piece of our day? Such a small part of our life. If the God over all creation who is sovereign and controls all things, in this text you see him controlling the storm and the fish and the sailors and the men's hearts, he controls all these things, then why is it that we struggle to pray to him? We know the truth, right? We know that God hears us when we pray. But the reality is it's not a mental block. There's not a mental struggle for why we don't pray. There's a heart issue behind it. There's a heart issue that keeps us from crying out to God. But what you believe should always affect how you act. There's a preacher a long time ago, uh, Kevin Orr, and he would use this illustration a lot where he would talk about salvation and we know a lot about God, but are we really trusting in Jesus? And what he would do is he would actually bring up this girl that he knew well, a single lady, and he would say, do you believe in marriage? And she would say, yeah, I believe in marriage. Uh, I think it's a legitimate thing, that it's a good thing. He'd say, okay, well, why do you value marriage? And she said, well, it's a great place for companionship or it's a great place to raise a family. And so she would give these reasons and he'd say, okay, then you must be married. She'd be like, no, I'm not married. He's like, well, wait, you believe in marriage and you see it as a good thing, then why aren't you married? And the girl would say, because I've never made that commitment yet. I've never said, I do. I've never said those vows before us. And I think that parallels to our prayer life. Like we know of these things, but are we really committed to these things? We know that God is good and all powerful and all knowing, but are we really investing our lives and committing to pray for him, to him? So church, the application I would have is just to commit to start praying just to commit to start praying. Maybe you don't pray at all right now and just 30 seconds a day or four meals that you would commit to start praying because God hears your prayers and answers. But some of you here I know are faithful prayer warriors. You sign up and you pray in our upper room. You send us emails as pastors to let us know we're praying, uh, that you're praying for us. Just continue steadfast in that prayer. Continue steadfast in it. In the busyness of life, for me, prayer is one of the first things to go because nobody else sees it, right? Nobody else is holding me accountable to, accountable to it. But it's the one of the most powerful things that we can do. So commit to start praying or be encouraged to continue to pray for our God hears when we call to him.
The second big theme that we see here about God is that he pursues us in his perfect love. God pursues us in his perfect love. Now you might've read this text or heard me give the outline and think, I don't see a whole lot of love in this chapter. Like Jonah's in the belly of a fish. Where is, where is love in that, right? Or if you're here the first week, Brian Frost talked about this and said, some people look at this story and think, this is the wrath of God coming down on Jonah. When the reality of is the wrath of God would have just extinguished Jonah, right? The wrath of God would have said, you just sail on in your sin, Jonah. I'm not gonna pursue you. But instead of leaving Jonah in his sin, God pursues him in love. God could have forsaken him. There's other prophets that God could have used. Even at this time, other books of the Bible are written by prophets that were at the same time as Jonah. Amos, Hosea, God could have said, Jonah, you're gonna run, done with you. I'll just use one of these other two guys and they'll go and preach the gospel and preach salvation in Nineveh. But he doesn't because he knows it's not a loving thing to leave Jonah in his sin. And so he pursues him and he pursues him in two ways. First, he pursues him through discipline. That's hard to think that that's love sometimes, but it is. And God pursues Jonah pursues us by giving us discipline. And he also pursues Jonah by remaining faithful to him. So let's look at these two. God disciplines Jonah for being rebellious against him. And Jonah realizes this. Look at verse three. He says, for you cast me into the deep. All your waves and billows passed over me. He's saying God did these things. Now, wait a second. We go back in the story and, and that does not seem what it looks like, right? Like I thought the sailors were the ones that, that threw him overboard, right? The, these, these lots were cast to see who was causing the problems on the boat and it falls on Jonah. But Jonah doesn't look back and say, man, those sailors, they threw me in here. And he doesn't look back and say, I really had bad luck that the lots fell the way they did and it fell on me. And so everybody knows it was my fault. That's not what Jonah says. Rather, he points to God, knowing that God is sovereign and working in all of this. And he's saying, you cast me, Lord, you put me here. All your waves are passing over me. And he knows he's been rebellious and God is faithfully pursuing him through discipline. And this discipline doesn't lead to Jonah's despair at this moment. Brother, he starts to talk about, I'm going to go to your temple again. I'm going to go to your altar again. You've brought up my life from the pit in verse six. He knows he's being disciplined, but that God is still showing grace and love. And this truth that God disciplines us is found throughout the scriptures. Maybe a passage Jonah would have known in Proverbs chapter three says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The New Testament says it like this, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You see, in discipline, we find correction because to be away from God and to be in our sins is a terrible place to be. And God is saving us and bringing us out of those things by his grace and his discipline. And Jonah sees this discipline as love. And I think, I believe that's why he says, 
verse eight. That's why he prays verse eight. Look at that verse again. It says, for those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. Your Bible might have mercy there, but this is a really unique word. It's a word that the the Jews would use to talk about God's covenant keeping love. The never failing, never forsaking, never changing love. Hesed is the Hebrew word. And Jonah pulls that word out and says that here. He says, you've forsaken your hope of steadfast love. This is the kind of love that we can't experience anywhere else. Even in the closest of of relationships. Times change, emotions go up and down and some of the feelings of love can kind of wane, at least for us, but not for God. We can be in situations where our performance has changed and so people's opinion of us has changed, but God's love is always faithful and always consistent. It never changes. Maybe we said something like, man, that was really foolish and friendships have been broken and loves have been lost because of something we've said. And that's not true of God. He has this always faithful, never changing love that is always pursuing us. It's always steady. It's always consistent. It's always pursuing your heart and mine. So I, have a, I told you earlier, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. My five-year-old's a girl and my two-year-old's a boy. And it's so funny to see the difference between the two of them. Because almost every day when I come home, what I find is my son, he's normally building something. He's building something. He sees me come in the door and he runs up and he gives me a hug. And then he runs back and he starts building his tower again, right? So appreciate you acknowledging I came home, son. Now my daughter on the other extreme, she hears that I drive in the driveway and she runs from me and she runs and hides. Now I'm thankful for my wife that helps me understand women more because she says this truth, which is very wise. Women love to be pursued. So I see that even in my daughter now. She loves to be pursued by her dad. And so she sees me come home and she runs because it's fun to her to play the game of hide and seek. So most of the time I can find her because I hear her laughing because she's so excited. She's hiding in the closet, she's laughing. So I go and I find her and I pull her out. She gives me a hug and welcomes me home. And I think about that and it's true. My, my daughter does that. She runs from me because it's a fun game for her to play. But I think about this story and I think about Jonah's statement in verse eight and I ask the question, why is it that we run from our heavenly father? And I think the reason why is because we find some deceitful, evil fun in our sins. We find some deceitful, evil fun in our sins. And what Jonah says in this moment is that is all vanity you will not find anything consistent or anything that will satisfy your heart and all of these vain idols. You're not gonna find it there. You're not gonna find what you're searching for. Only God can give that. And so when we seek after these idols, which our culture cloaks so well, we don't have these carven images that we bow down to, but instead we we bow down to power and authority because we love to have that. We bow down and we worship acceptance because we wanna be received and approved by those and others. 
And all those things, if you live life long enough, you feel the, the emptiness in that. You feel the vanity in that. You see, there's nothing that satisfies me in that area. And Jonah realizes this in the midst of his sin as he lives for himself and he's selfish. He says, not even in that can I find anything consistent and anything steadfast. He says, the only hope we have of love and mercy and grace is found in God. It's found in his steadfast love. So I'm thankful that when we forget that truth, God doesn't, and he is always pursuing us. Christian artist, Matt Papa has a song, and in there it says these words that apply almost directly to this. He says, my seeker, speaking of God, my seeker finds me where I hide. In the corners of guilt and under my pride, and his grace is chasing down this heart. I run away, but I never get far. If we know Jesus Christ, we can run in our sins, but he will never leave us or forsake us. He's going to pursue and run after us. So church has a word of affirmation, word of application. Let us be encouraged that we can never wander too far that God's love can't reach us. And we can never be too deep in our sins that God's love won't save us. This should encourage us. This is the God that never changes. The God that's the same in the day of Jonah is the same in our day, that in his love and his grace and his mercy, he is pursuing us even when we're running from him. So let us have confidence in his perfect love and be content in it. The third thing I want us to see is that God rescues us in his matchless might. So God hears us when we pray to him. We see that in this text. He loves and faithfully pursues us, but God always rescues us in his matchless might. Look at verse nine again. It says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed to pay, I will. And this is a huge statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the only thing in this text that I really see repentance in. Jonah has thought salvation belonged to him. I don't wanna go preach to those people. I don't wanna tell them about salvation. I'm keeping it to myself. That's not true. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's important for us to stop and say, what are we being saved from? What is this salvation that he's talking about here? Because the reality is, if you don't know you need to be saved, you're not gonna reach out to be saved, right? <laughs> like if I'm drowning in the ocean, but I don't think I'm drowning, and you throw out a life preserver to me, and I, I'm not gonna take it, right? Why would I take it? I, I'm swimming just fine. I don't need help. Why are you, don't throw that to me. So when we talk about here the salvation of the Lord, like it's important to realize what we're being saved from. And we're being saved from the greatest evil our world has ever seen. It is sin. And our sin separates us from all that is good and perfect. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God and our sin separates us from him. And when we read this story, we see two types of people, religious and irreligious, and both of them need the salvation of the Lord. Look at Jonah in this story. Does Jonah need salvation? Absolutely. Like he is running from God in his sin. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then here we see in his prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. 
You have lifted me up. You have brought me out. You have saved me. So even the religious person needs the salvation of the Lord. But the irreligious people need the salvation of the Lord too. He's supposed to be going to Nineveh to preach salvation to them. That's what he's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be saying, hey, this is the Lord. This is who he is. And I'm so thankful that God pursues us in that way. That his salvation goes to the righteous and the unrighteous. We all need this salvation. And this salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. He is the great rescuer. And I'm so thankful that salvation belongs to the Lord and not to me for a number of reasons. But one, I'm not a great rescuer. I've only had like one time in my life where I can sit I mean, I actually rescued somebody. I was a youth pastor years ago and we took a youth trip to go up whitewater rafting. It was during the drought during that time. So it was really just water rafting or water rafting. I don't know. There wasn't a lot of white going on there, but they told us beforehand, they said, hey, because the water's so low, you'll see rocks poking out throughout our trip. That doesn't make you feel good, right? And they're like, so if somebody falls over, we need to get them back into the boat quickly because we don't want them to get hit by one of these rocks. So they taught us how to do this. They said, you're gonna go over to the side of the boat. You're gonna grab the straps of their life vest. You're gonna push them down into the water and kind of use them as a buoy to pull back up onto the, the boat. So you pull them back out of the water. I'm like, all right, I got this. So we get down there and we're about halfway done with our trip. And one of our girls falls out of the boat. And I'm like, this is my time to shine. This is my time to rescue somebody. And so I reach over to the side of the boat and I grab her vest and I push her down into the water and I try to pull up and I don't get her back in the boat. So I just baptized her. I just dunked her in there and pulled her back and she's stuck right there. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to put a little more oomph into this one. So I push her down into the water and I pull back up. And this time I put too much oomph. And so I pull her all the way in the boat and I knock out my wife, who's on the other side, out of the boat on that side. So I'm running over there. Okay, I gotta help her and pull her back in the boat. Now, God doesn't make mistakes like that. He is the great rescuer. And the scriptures talk about that God, before the foundations of the world, knew that Christ would be slain for your sin and for mine. He knew that we would be saved from our sins through Jesus Christ, because he is the perfect rescuer. This is the God in whom we serve. And this passage should not just give us hope that we can know that we're saved by Christ, but it also gives us hope to share this truth with others. Almost more than any other book in the Bible, Jonah gives me courage to share the gospel with others. And this is why. Because Jonah did not want to go preach in Nineveh. We'll see in the next couple of chapters, Jonah is pushing back completely on that. He gets angry, he gets mad that God's gonna save these people. And so I don't know this to be true. We can't read tone in the Bible, but I believe Jonah went into Nineveh and he preached something like this. Hey, there's a God, loves you. You probably should forgive you. And um, you got judgment coming, so just, just believe. Just. Because he didn't want to believe. So it's probably a lack of passion and a lot of apathy. But what's amazing is salvation didn't belong to Jonah. It belonged to the Lord. And so God saves these people from the kings all the way down to the animals start repenting. I don't know what that looks like. Brian's gonna cover that, I guess, in a couple of weeks. But chapter four, that literally the animals are in ash and sackcloth, repenting of their sins. But that's what's so beautiful about it. When we share the gospel, we don't have to get every word right. We don't have to be perfect in execution of sharing the salvation because it doesn't belong to you and it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. 
So he's going to save those in whom he's going to save. He's going to show grace on those he's going to show grace on. So we are called church to be faithful, to share our salvation, to be faithful to share this truth with those around us, to plant the gospel in our city. So church is a point of application. Let's have assurance in our salvation because Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who holds salvation in his hand. It belongs to him and he has given it to us. And second, let us have hope as we share the salvation because it belongs to God and he has called us to share. Now that we can talk about in this picture, we get a little glimmer in Jonah chapter two of God's um, hearing our prayers. We get a little glimmer of God's great love for us. We get a little glimmer of God saving. But the pinnacle of this we see in Jesus Christ. And as we come to take the Lord's Supper now, what we're doing is this is a time for us to remember this great pinnacle of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. And so we look at the Lord's Supper and what it's supposed to do for the Christian is it's supposed to remind us of what God did. Christ poured out his blood on the cross for us. His body was broken for us and that's the bread and the juice. It helps us to remember what God has done. But at the same time, it allows us to proclaim. Somebody's in here this morning that doesn't know the Lord. What we're doing is we're proclaiming, we believe this. We believe Christ died and, was, uh, and shed his blood for our sins in our place. And he didn't stop there. His grace, great rescue went to a resurrection. And that's what we look forward to one day. So as we take the Lord's Supper, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death right now and we're looking forward to the day that he's gonna come back. So if you're a Christian, we would encourage you to, to take the Lord's Supper this morning, to remember this great love of Christ. If you're not a believer, we'd ask that you just let it pass by. But to look at the cross and to believe today. If you're a parent and you have your kids here with you, I would even say just let the, the cup and the juice pass by. Maybe use it as a chance to share the gospel in the drive home of why you took the Lord's Supper and why you um, allowed them not to take the Lord's Supper at this time because this is the pinnacle of our God who hears us, who loves us, and who saves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that we have in the Lord's Supper. Lord, we need it. We need to remember um, that you are a good and perfect God who faithfully pursues us and saves us. Lord, you rescue us. So Lord, today I pray that you would help us in this moment to be still, to search our hearts. If there's sin within our hearts, confess it, knowing and having confidence that Lord, you and you alone can forgive. So Father, bless this time now. It's in Christ's name, amen.